When episode one of the longest-running soap in the world began, on the BBC's home service in 1951, I wonder whether anyone involved thought it might still be running 70 years later. It was billed as an everyday story of country folk, and it was partly established to educate farmers in the post-war years. Ever since, The Archers has enjoyed a fiercely loyal listenership, educating and entertaining millions of people in Britain and around the world through their wireless sets and now digital radios, computers and mobile phones. Over the decades, the show has reflected not just changing agriculture methods, but changing attitudes too, and the fictional village of Ambridge has become more diverse and inclusive, especially over recent years. I'm Frances Butt, and this is Emotipod, a series of conversations with all kinds of artists and creatives about the emotional benefits of the work they do, both for them and for their audiences. This podcast was sparked by the heartbreaking loss of access to so much art caused by the global pandemic. I wanted to champion and celebrate the arts and their crucial importance for our mental and emotional health. The Archers is generally on the gentle side of drama, but some themes and episodes have occasionally caused shock and even national outrage, including sudden death, infidelity, addiction, and even slavery. These things do happen in real life, after all. And yet, the programme is known for being a kind of safe, easy-listening, easily-spoofed radio drama. Even the tum-ti-tum theme tune, Barrett Green by Arthur Wood, has become a national treasure in its own right. It's often jokingly used to denote a cosy, middle-class, middle-England stereotype, but it's an affectionate joke. And of course, many Archer's characters, past and present, are national treasures too. Let's meet two of them right now. David Archer, played by Tim Bentink, who also happens to be the 12th Earl of Portland, don't you know? And the Reverend Alan Franks, who is played by John Telfer. Can I say I'm thrilled and excited? Thank you very much. I've got two two members of the cast of The Archers, and I'm very, very fortunate, very lucky. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for being here. And thank you, John very much for joining me. Absolutely delighted. Delighted. Delighted, Francis. So how many years have you been? I mean, you joined David Archer in 1982? Yeah. In July this year, I will have been in it for 40 years. 40 years. How about you, John, Alan? John, Alan? Um, I've been it this year. I've been nearly 20 years. 20 years next year. So I joined 2003. I'm a late comer. Yeah, oh, he's a new new kid. He was a, he was he was a sexy young beast when he joined the Archers. I mean, he was he just come out of pirates in the West End. You should see, you should yes. see his thigh boots. His thigh boots. What a what a. I've got the oh, photo. Oh, yeah, there were lots of lots of <laughs> drooling females at the stage door when <laughs> when Benton was on stage. I can tell you, as you can imagine, um, I do actually 
happen to have it to hand. <laughs> up on my up on the wall. Just I can look to my right and remember those halcyon <laughs> days of youth. Yes, look there. Yeah. And I still got the thigh boot. You still got the boots. Yeah. <laughs> when we first worked together, uh, Tim was at Brislovic Theatre School. As I had been, I was mm-hmm. I was a member of the company. I'd come back to musical direct the follow-up to the Beggar's Opera, Polly, and Tim was playing McKeith. Yeah. Ah. Very sexy, sexy McKeith. Yeah, wow. with an with wow. a with a, a brass curtain rail um stuck through my my gold yeah. <laughs> earring that I had in my ear, which got oh. caught. On stage, and somebody yanked it and uh, and, and pulled. The, that's why I've got a, a split ear. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's very, very buccaneer. That is My a split ear. Wow. So you were a young, young heartthrob, David Archer. Uh, yeah. And he's now a heartthrob for the greatest generation. <laughs> that, absolutely. I'm still a heartthrob, if the, you know, yes, for the listener. You are. Any listener over 50, I'm still a heartthrob, darling. You are, my darling. <laughs> that's, well, that's me right there. As but is, you've... as is Sexy Vicar, you know. Oh, my God. Very don't, Sexy you know, Vicar. Don't forget Sexy oh. Vicar. Oh, dear. But you've both been there and you've both lived lives through this show. You've got your own lives, but you live... These lives of these characters over a long period of time. Now, have they? How have they developed? Have they changed? Well, they've kind of. I mean, from I speak for myself, but I mean, from David's point of view, um, he, he's grown older, and in you know, in the way that a farmer would, he is he's the he's the typical farmer. He was a young farmer uh, with all that goes with it, and then he was a young bachelor with, um, with a very fast car that his father gave him an e- escort. And going roaring around the place and, you know, going out with lots of girls and everything. And then met Ruth and fell in love. And um, they discovered themselves in the hay barn. Um, and it was all very, very, it was lo- there was lots for the um, special effects person to do with the noise of hay while we were smooching yes. in front of the microphone. And going, what are you doing? And somebody was doing hay noises in the background. Hay, <laughs> hay, because we were clearly in a hayloft. Um, recording tape, is that right? Is that what makes it's the noise? Ha- it, it is. It's re- There's a lot of sex in quor- the Quarter-inch recording yeah. tape. There are, aren't there? There's quite a lot of snogging. Yeah. It's all about it's sex. Archers has always been about just about has, sex. Has it really? Farm, farming and sex, about it, really. Well, hang on a minute. I thought the original remit was to educate your farmers as well as to entertain post-war. <laughs> that's, what that's what they say. <laughs> but actually, it's it's well, it's the longest-running soap, isn't it? We are in our 70... Oh, no, we've just come out of our 70th year. We're now in our oh, 70, 70, first, 70 first 70, year. not 60, not even 70 no, years. 70 years. Incredible. It is the longest-running drama series of any type, television or radio, in the world ever. Yeah. It's really something. Um, and last year, we were invited to Clarence House to go and meet Camilla, who is our royal um, yep. fan. I don't think Charles listened to it at all, but Camilla absolutely loves it, and she's she was very supportive. Oh, lovely! Well, she was in the program, wasn't she? She was. She was in the program at one stage. Wasn't she, she was in the program at one stage. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, my um, my invite that I was proudly displaying on my mantelpiece at home for any visitor could come and see. When it came to it, I came down with what Dilly Keen in Fascinating Aida calls long cold, which was rather like long COVID, except there's no COVID, but you have a fluey cold and it lasts. Oh. Three weeks, Mate. and unfortunately, I was laid low with that, and I wasn't able to attend the party. Oh, oh no! No, well, no, we we missed you. We missed <laughs> I, you missed I missed you, but never mind. Never mind. Anyway, enough of David. What is the long story of of Alan Franks? 
What is the long story of Alan Franks? Well, the thing is, when um, I, there's a little story about when I was interviewing for those, I was going through a bit of a doldrums in 2003, and I, I phoned up a very old friend who was an oft-time producer of The Archers, and he's an ex, uh, at that stage, um, Radio 4 features, drama, and uh, poetry producer and great friend of mine called Alec Reed. We were writing a musical together at the time. And I was, you know, when I, you know, you phone up your mates and whinge and say, oh, nothing happened, there's no theatre, you know, no bloody telly. And he said, I don't think they've cast the new Vicar in the Archers yet. Why do, <laughs> why do you give um why do you give the producers a, a ring? So I rang up BBC Birmingham. They said, no, indeed, we haven't cast it. Come and do an audition. Here's a scene. So they sent me a scene by post, um, which was Alan and Jennifer, Jennifer Aldridge. So I had to look at that. I, I went to the audition and they said, oh, we're thinking of Alan as being um, uh, North Yorkshire. And I said, well, that's very handy. I said, because my my home accent, I'm actually from Teesside, which is North East Yorkshire. So you could talk a bit like that, you know. And they said, oh, no, we've got one of those already. Oh, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, David. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, David. So she said, no, just a light Yorkshire. So I did a sort of light, very light Yorkshire. And it seemed to go very well. And I got the job. That's lovely. And um, it means it's got, I've had three daughters now. Yes. In my long thing, my, my first daughter was actually um, a rap star as well called Verbalicious. Oh, gosh, I'd forgotten oh, Verbalicious. Right. She was extraordinary. Natalia Keeley Fisher, who um, <laughs> left the show uh, at some point. She was the most non kind of archers cast of anybody ever, really, wasn't she? She just. <laughs> She was great, but she was completely yeah, that, yeah. outside her comfort zone. Yeah. It was it was so what's so lovely about the archers is that you you go on the show. Um and I remember my uh, my very first step when I walked into the green room and I said, Hello everybody, I'm Tut New Vicar. And they all said, Hello, Vicar. You know, and um, and you know, of course I, I knew I was gonna see Tim at some point. I'd I'd known Tim, you know, for 40 Donkey's years. Yeah. Um Ruth, who's played by Felicity Finch. We'd been on tour together uh, one the night they raided Minsky's. And Graham Seed, of course, we, he'd been in Crossroads, and I'd done a couple of eps at Crossroads. And Charles Collingwood, who plays Brian Aldridge, said, oh, you know, we did the Bretts. I remember you from the Bretts. And I was, I was in the Bretts for a, a couple of episodes, all that sort of thing. So you're meeting people, and they become your family. And you go of there. Of course. And, you know, lovely Paddy Green. Jill. You know, who is the, the mother, the mother of us yeah. all, actually, and she's, yeah. and it's a joy. And you meet Charles, and you share laughter, and the joy of seeing Tim, and you know, because it's always lovely to see Tim. Um, Beautiful, but not only are you family, your family to to the listener, I think, because I, I went to the theatre today, and it was lovely and wonderful, and there are the actors on the stage, but the archers are in your kitchen, in your home, yeah, in yeah. your bedroom, bathroom, yeah. wherever you listen to them. And it's a very intimate thing. They do become part of your life. Yeah, yeah it's strange, isn't it? It is. If you get into them. So there's presumably an incredibly loyal listenership that's been going for many, many years. Do there you is... ever do you hear from them? Well, one of the things about it is, you know, say 40 years in my case, 25 or so for John. And most of that time you don't, get to see or hear or meet the listener, you know, unlike mm. on stage. You know, if you're doing telly or film, it's the same thing. But I was lucky that um, a few years ago, I, I wrote an autobiography and the publishers sent me out on a kind of book tour thing. And so I was, you know, out doing up on stage talking about it and then signing um, signing the books afterwards. 
which gives you an opportunity to actually talk to people and and find that out. And I mean, I've, you know, I've known it all my life. I mean, you know, we've, we've had meet the public things. We've done stuff on stage and all that sort of thing. But it really brought yeah. it home to me what it means to people. Um, and everybody had got their own story about how they listened to The Archers when they first started listening to it. Yeah. You know, you tend to hear the same thing over and over again. But, you know, it's their story. So it's it's completely and utterly relevant to them. And so it's, it's yes. completely valid. But then sometimes people come up with, you know, things out of left field about how they listen to The Archers. I mean, the, <laughs> this is a, a name drop, but Stephen Fry, who, you know, I, I do know, he, he said the wonderful thing about listening to it in an open-top car da- driving down Sunset Boulevard. With, you know, blaring out of the speakers, you know, and you don't think about that when you, you know, in the studio in Pebble Mill, you, you realise that the, these all these expats, you know, that used to have them sent by, because people would, you know, their family would record it onto cassette and then send them the cassette out, you know, to Kenya or whatever it was. And um, oh. and, and now, of course, it's, you know, they can get it on the internet. So, you you know, yeah. you've probably doubled the Anytime, expat. anywhere. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So and that's definitely... Yeah, sorry. There's a story about, something about Judy Dench and Eileen Atkins, who are great mates, and um, and they're both avid Archers listeners. And one of them was in the states. They were sort of phoning up saying, "What what happened in the show?" <laughs> this was some years ago. Tell me what happened. Send me a recording. You know. So they, they, all this stuff, stuff was going transatlantic between yeah. the three great dames of English theatre. Wonderful. Brilliant. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. That, but it's, that's how important the Archers are to people. Yeah. And so the, the long running stories. But you have a very short. What is it? You've got a 15 minute slot, but it's actually less than that, isn't it's it? On weekday 13, slots, 12 and a half, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, 15, 12, um, yes. I don't like it to be edgy. I don't want it to be EastEnders. But at the same time, if it's too nice, then it gets boring. And so you've yes. got to pepper the, you know, the flower and produce show and, you know, drizzle cake and those sort of stories. You've got to then <laughs> introduce some really, you know, absolutely compulsive storyline that goes along well, at the we, same time with it. The one that you would immediately go to would be the Helena Rob Titchener. Oh yeah, yeah. story which yeah. was yeah. which gripped the nation and people who had never left, listened to the archers were listening to the archers suddenly it was incredible. And, it, and it did a lot of good I mean it did a lot of good in sense so far as a lot of people were able to come to terms with what they'd suffered and and recognize yeah. what they'd suffered and therefore take appropriate action I mean they didn't yes. go knife their, their their abusive partners but no. like, <laughs> Helen does but but they they but yeah, to they, realize they, they were they were in an abusive relationship absolutely that's yeah. I mean what an incredible and also with Ruth you that you wrote in your book tim didn't you that uh somebody checked out their their breast for breast cancer after the, yeah, the roof, roof story i mean that, well, that's uh, rather wonderful isn't it it is it saved her life you know yeah. as, a, as a result of listening to the program and, and you know, it is it's that important yeah and yeah. also you know in in the past i've had you know farmers getting hold of me and saying thank you so much for telling me about um you know i, I had forgotten to spray for warble fly and you remind <laughs> me um, <laughs> the rest of us are just thinking uh, <laughs> yeah. that somebody really benefited. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so Wonderful. Warble. I'm going to look at what warble fly is. I don't know Wonderful. what it is. It does. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's it's doing what Lord Reith really uh, was, you know, to, to entertain 
to inform and enlighten and and to raise up and he's doing yes. all of those things that Reith started the BBC and it is it's obviously it, it when it's working well yeah yeah doing those things so yes it's a great privilege because it is as a, as an actor um the absolute high point to, to me of radio drama because I'm, radio drama when when you're doing say an ordinary drama play on radio when i'm saying ordinary but i mean you know something else other than the archers um it's very very easy in one sense to do the big dramatic moments and the big emotional moments and the really the really difficult stuff is the stuff that your chap there this this bentink here does so brilliantly and it's the really difficult stuff this is why he's such a superb radio actor bullshit to say is to make something like um is the coffee ready love you know and make it sound exactly. Uh, exactly. exactly as it would truthful so truthful it's real and yeah it's there's a, a real, real yeah. it's a real gift and yeah. that, is, that, that is really difficult to do and and yeah. um he and charles collingwood and, and those who do it so so you know you feel when you're on the show that you're working amongst the best really that that's that's Fantastic. really great thing. well and you matey don't be <laughs> don't don't put yourself oh for on. sure no. and alan my goodness he's a hub he is a hub of the yeah. village and he's so he's, he's everyone cries on his it's shoulders, really so it's you. really nice i mean i recently had to say look can you can we have a bit more of the of the of the sort of pastoral care instead of instead of the sermons i don't think anybody tunes into the arches to listen to alan giving a sermon you know <laughs> and and uh, they've actually i'm sure that i'm that. sure many do well, <laughs> oh, that's 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 the real acting bit for me. The sermon. <laughs> your sermons are compulsive, mate. You're yeah, obviously. see, you like each other's character. Do you like your own characters? Oh God, yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Yeah. No, I yeah. do. I do. I mean, you know, the thing about David is he's very different to me in in a lot of ways. But we have similarities in that I love working outside. I love working with my hands. Um, I used to work on farms when I was younger. I'm very practical and, you know, I've been building my house for the last 40 years. You know, <laughs> well, it's still an ongoing <laughs> bloody job for both of us. <laughs> ongoing. Yeah. So, yeah, same, with, same with John. We both built our houses in similar ways. You know, you can see that the, the room that was built when we didn't have any money. And then you can see the built the room that was redecorated when we were doing all right. You know, is that those were. So in that sense, I'm very, very with him when I'm outside, you know, looking after the animals or building fences or, you know, mixing concrete and all that kind of stuff. That, then uh, then David and I are, are as one. Mm. But I'm not a farmer. I'm an actor. And so in that sense, mm. we're, you know, we're different. I don't understand about the about the business of being a, of being a farmer. I mean, I do understand a certain amount about farming because my father um, in the 70s gave up being an advertising producer and sold everything up and went down to Devon and bought a 10 acre patch of land with a, an old Devon longhouse on it, which used to be a kennels and turned it into a, an organic small holding and, and ah. for, to live the good life and lived off the land. And my, my, my wife, Judy, and I went down while we were at drama school, actually, and we, all our hol my holidays were down there helping him. So, you know, and I've milked cows and I've, you know, mm. done the harvest and done, I've, mm. most of the stuff that, that I do as David, I have actually done. But being a farmer, as a as a profession that's where we where we're not the same you know i, I just pretend yeah. that he does it for real <laughs> uh, and what about you john do you like you like alan you like alan he's a nice guy how could you not like yeah him? i like i like alan a lot i, like, I do like alan. i think you have to um, like your character you do have to like your love your character even if you're, even if you're playing a villain in something you, you yeah. have to find something lovable about that person yeah but yeah i do i like 
I like the the relationship that he has with the other people in the village mm. and just the the generosity of spirits, but also the fact that he gets he gets angry. He gets really he does get angry. He got, he got angry about um people who were charged after someone when they were racially abusing Usha back when they were oh, yeah. things. That's right. Well, that's, that's, that's so believable. It's uh, yeah, it makes you it. yeah. He's not yeah. you know he's not a say. I mean, I there's some of my character. There's not not all because I can't you can't swear on Radio Four. But some of my character I base on the scatological <laughs> canon in Bristol called Neville Boundy. <laughs> only only in terms of the fact that he's wild. He has this uh-huh. you know he's got this sort of wild side to him. And Alan likes rock music, you know, and he's got his motorbike and there's yeah. all, all that sort of side, which is cool. And also, he came to he came to religion really because he was a lay preacher. And then he came to religion, became, trained as a vicar because of the death of his first wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's this whole sort of mixed race family. His first wife was Afro Caribbean. That's right. Daughter mm-hmm. mixed race and stuff. That's right. And I can chime with that because my wife in real life is mixed race. Her grandfather was from Barbados. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh And and I'm immensely proud of my own two sons are mixed race absolutely tremendously proud of that fact yeah because i think it's a great it's a great thing we have to be a great melting pot you know um, yeah otherwise we're, so we should we're be yeah absolutely. so we should be outside of alan i i really like actually you've got um, more in common with alan i think perhaps than i have with david well no i don't i don't think so because i'm i'm not at all religious you see absolutely oh, well that's true not, yeah no absolutely yeah. not oh, at right. all i mean i'm spiritual i i I'm very emotional where music's concerned. I mean, I'm, I'm well, one of the, apart from write music and, and uh, musical direct occasionally. Uh, Brilliantly. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, I, was, I sing with the Bristol Choral Society and we were, we were rehearsing last night and singing some Mozart and there's a, a piece called Ave Verum Corpus. Oh. And, and I, had to, I just broke down. I, sing, yeah. stopped, I had to stop singing halfway through. And I just started crying. Because it's just yeah. so moving. It's sublime. It's so moving. Yeah. So yeah. music really plugs into my adrenal gland. So that's that's my spiritual side, if you mm. like. Right. I have to uh, butt in here and, and just say to the listener, what you probably don't know is that John is actually a rock god. Um, <laughs> he, when John's on stage singing um, rock and roll, I mean, really and truly, in another, you know, in another life, you would be one of the ah. great rock and roll singers. His rock singing voice is unbelievable. <laughs> ACDC ain't got nothing on you, man. <laughs> I did have a band. I had a band at uni, and then I, I was a uh, lead singer of a rock band in Bristol for about twelve years before we went our different ways. But when we, when I was at university, we were the university band, and we we supported Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Really, you didn't know that they were on their first English tour on the wow. on the Catch a Fire tour in 1973. Wow! And um, wow. we got to meet them. We got to meet them, and we were in fact we were using the Whalers PA. They weren't even top of the bill because nobody oh. knew who they were. They were they oh we opened. God. They were second, and then there was some terrible rock band called <laughs> Wild Angels or something on as leads. Never heard of them since. I was awestruck. I remember watching Carlton Barrett, the now sadly deceased drummer tuning his drums in the hall before he put them up on stage, very, very carefully tuning them. And as much as watching Marley, I watched the drummer because I never knew there were so many different subtle offbeats in a single bar of music that you could get from a great drummer like like Carlton Barrett. And we met them afterwards, and Bob Bob Marley was smoking the biggest spliff I had ever seen in my life. It was about two feet long, literally, 
Um, Full carrot. And yeah. they really dug us because I had three women singers and me uh, as lead singer, and the three women singers. He asked the women singers to join the Whalers. What? And they all said, they all said, oh, that's really nice, Bob. Thanks. We've got to finish our degrees. <laughs> <laughs> but they they went off to London and formed the Stepney Sisters, who were, you know, on the front cover of Spare Rib. They were wow. a big women's band in London in the, in the 70s, oh. late 70s. Bob Marley and the Stepney Sisters. Is Bob Marley and the Stepney Sisters. Yeah. Lovely. Great. Tim Wright, great songs. He does. He, he does. Songs. I've just written Wonderful one. I haven't songs. written one for a year. I've just written one. It's all, all about oh, the, weird, the weirdness of coming out of COVID. Oh. And the first line is, I saw a man walking towards me, holding out his hand. I don't know what to do. I don't want to offend. <laughs> I, um, I can smell his breath, his maskless <laughs> breath. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know, and then it's not a big thing. We still shook hands, but it's there. It's oh. all and it's all been spoiled. And it was this idea oh. that although you know we're coming out of COVID and and that it's probably sort of returning to normal, but there are things that are a legacy of these two years where yeah. it is that somebody shakes your hand and you do, but it's kind of weird, you know. Yes, and it is. and then and somebody hugs you and or kisses you yeah. and you go okay. And and I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's slightly yeah. weird. And Absolutely. little kiddies. I mean, imagine how strange oh. it is with little babies being born and all they see is these masks. Yeah. I always, if I'm if I'm saying hello, because I've got this sort of you know grandfather complex these days. Not <laughs> I have to pull my mask down to say hello to little ones in, in their pams, you know. Yeah. Because and, it must be so terrifying for well, them. Well, it's more Absolutely. It's more terrifying when you take the mask off, John. Don't forget. You know. <laughs> oh, now, 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 now. <laughs> I had a I had an idea for a, a lockdown song, which, which is a reggae number. Which is, is I've got a lockdown belly. Like belly. Tell me about it. I'm on the, I am on a diet now because after two, two years of lockdown and going, oh, sod it, I'll just eat that. And then Christmas, you know, well, and everything. Oh. Yeah. Some people just went the other way and got and lost all the weight, didn't they? I don't know who those, those yeah. people were. They seem to be doing it. No, I definitely not, not in this house. Not here. From the, the third shoulders up, you look all right. Yeah. No, from no, shoulders yes, up, I'm fine, man. It's done. It's, you know, <laughs> that is that. Oh, no! <laughs> that and the pyjama bottoms underneath him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of that lockdown, things changed at uh, the Archers over that time where in the first lockdown where nobody could get to where you would normally be doing things and there were these monologues for a while. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was a thing. Well, um, yeah, I was asked to do. I was asked to do the first one, and at the time, ah. I I thought, well, this is really interesting because we spent, you know, we've had um, sixty nine years of hearing what these characters say, but we've never actually heard what they think. Um, and I thought it was a, a great opportunity to kind of to have the thinks and to see what people were all about. And I think it worked fine for a bit, but it you you can't keep that up, you know, because you, you no. it's not it's not story anymore, you know. And yeah. monologues, soliloquies are, you know, that's one thing, but it's not the nature of the program because it's drama and drama is about conflict and it's about, you know, interaction yes. and it's yes. about story with a big with a capital S and that you didn't get from the monologue. Yes. So it worked for a while and it's quite interesting, but it couldn't sustain. Yeah. No. Yes, you need the interaction, and you you can't really inject a lot of humour into a monologue in the same way. <laughs> not, not, not unless you're laughing at your own jokes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
So you've got the drama and you've got the information, infotainment side of it, but there is also levity and there are lighthearted characters who are. You've got your Eddie mm. Grundy, Joe R.I.P., yep. Walter Gabriel R.I.P., uh-huh. bless him. And, of course, Linda yes. with her comic auteur. Um, <laughs> That's a great, because a comic auteur, yes, brilliant. <laughs> yes, quite right. uh, and Jazza, who we all mm. adore. Yeah. But, yes, to try and get jokes into that, again, 13 minutes, when you've also got some plot to drive forward, that's, that's quite a thing. So you've had various writers over the years. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a problem with writers coming in and not being up to speed with where your characters are and then giving your characters things to do that are out of character? I've always wondered about that. Well, to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. they do, you know, the new writers really, really work hard to do their research and come in completely mm. prepared. And so most of the time right. it's a seamless transition. And every every now and again, you know, they'll write something that, that your character wouldn't really say. Um and you just say, you know, I wouldn't say that. And, pe- and the director will go, okay. oh, okay, oh, okay, fine. And most of the time, the director who's producing the programme would say, yeah, that's fine, let's, let's do that. Let's just, change you just change it, you know. Yeah. Sometimes okay. just change, oh, okay. it, on the, yeah. change okay. it on the fly without even asking. Um, yeah, so is there, a, is there a reference Bible of all the characters for, for writers to refer to? I'm sure to? there is, yeah. I've never, yeah. I've never yeah. seen it. I have to yeah, say, I'm, I'm slightly worried about David becoming grumpy. I don't know where this has come from. Um, I, I have you to. Said I, I, I'm grumpily. Gr- I said grumpily. <laughs> I have to. I'm going to have to have a word because David. You know, David was always the master of the really awful jokes. That was the thing about it was when he was yeah. young. But he was always coming up uh, with terrible puns and dreadful jokes and everything. That's right. And he was a joker. And then he, you know, being a father and then coming out, you know, going for children and growing up and then teenagers and all that kind of thing. And and now suddenly, you know, oh, you know, he's always grumpy. And this is a, you know, some writer has come in and decided that I'm grumpy. So I'm going to have to have a word and ungrump David because, you know, I do know the character, the boy, you know, I do know him. And yeah. he's, he's yeah. not, you know, he's not grumpy. He's a, he's a good guy. I mean, the thing about David is he is, he's a genuinely good guy. You know, he hasn't got evil in him. Yes. He hasn't got evil in him. And no. he's, on, he's honest and he's loyal. Um, yes. And, you yes. know, if that means that he, he might be a bit prosaic and he's not kind of artistic, well, no, he's, he's not arty, you know, he, he's not. I mean, yes. having said that, of course, you know, when he is asked to play Herod in the uh, oh, in, right, yes. in the uh, <laughs> the mysteries, he unleashes his inner thespian. Went, but, yeah. yes, Went for it. But that's because we were told <laughs> that it, it wasn't you being David being Herod. It was it was you, Tim being Herod, you know, so yeah. uh, uh, so okay. David didn't actually and come had a, had a great effect on certain female. Um, it, it did, um, yes. yes. Yeah, Susan absolutely. suddenly has got the yes. got wobbly knees. Got the like hops. David, yes, yeah, <laughs> quite right. I have to say, I met a I met I met a woman on a train. It sounds like a film, doesn't it? About yeah. five or six years ago, I was traveling, probably traveling to Birmingham, and I'd maybe working on a script or something. And she started talking and asked me, and I said, "Oh, it, it, you know, I'm working on the Archers." And so she was a huge Archers fan. She said, "You know, David and Ruth are my template for the ideal marriage." <laughs> really? Oh, there you are. Yeah, oh, she was totally, so totally charmed by both of you, and said, oh. "You know, if she could follow yeah. that in her own marriage, she would be a happy woman." But they bring that comfort yeah. into the home. They really do that sense of, "Oh, this is how it could yeah. be, folks." Yeah. That kind yeah. of yeah. That's delightful. Well, he does. That's the one thing about David. You know, uh, well, from from my point of view, he really loves her. And when she had that affair mm. with Sam, that really broke him. It really, really broke him. Yes. And ever since then, I was cross. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. That was cross. It, I can tell you, he was he was devastated by it. And I, you know, mm. I I as an actor feel that he that David hasn't forgotten that, you know, and yeah. he's scared. Yeah scared witless that that would ever happen again so it's always there in my mm. mind anyway i've got oh. to tell you a quick quick story oh. talking about being on a train i was on a train going up to the, to birmingham and i'd had the archer's scripts out and i was marking them up and i just put them away and into the carriage came this very good looking um tall black man who sat down and said is this seat free i said absolutely and i sat down there and i and he started reading books and then he got a script out and he was looking at you know, a script and everything and i went oh i didn't really think anything about it and i hadn't got my scripts out so i wasn't able to say oh are you an actor too and i was i wasn't going to do it anyway anyway so we'd never said anything to each other and then i got back to the hotel and i put the television on and on the tv came this same guy it was Idris Elba. Oh, Christ. And I hadn't recognised him. And I thought, what oh. a missed opportunity. If I'd been there with my Archer script, he might have said, oh, you're an actor. And I would have gone, yeah. And I'd have ended up getting Idris on the programme, you know. I mean, yeah. Clearly, oh. I would have done. Yeah. God, of oh, course you would. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Missed, missed opportunity. But do people, do people recognise your voices when you're in a supermarket or anywhere like that? I mean, you don't do your, you don't do your Yorkshire accent, John, so you They sometimes recognise the timbre of my, my voice. Mm. Someone... Do you see eyebrows going up? Recently, we, were, we, were, we went down to see the Mary Rose last week. We went for a little jolly because I hadn't seen it since mm. it was covered in a big plastic sheet. So I wanted to see what had happened to it. So we stayed in Winchester, which is the most... Mm. gobsmackingly beautiful city I've ever been in. I mean, and I was at York University, which is beautiful, but oh. this yeah, this is Winchester. It's oh. like, ah, you know, it's like medieval <laughs> heaven. And we spent a long time in the cathedral, which William the Conqueror had built, you know, it's 1180. I mean, it's amazing. It's just like, nuts, isn't it? So we were being taken round and I was chatting to this wonderful woman uh, saying that both my sons are, were choristers at Bristol Cathedral and... Um, and we got talking about stuff, and uh, and and I, eventually, you know, the archers came up, and I said, "Yeah, I'm, I play the vicar in the archers." And she said, "I knew." It. So another voice, and one of the other guides said, "I, I recognise your voice." She said, "I know you. You're Alan, aren't you?" So, which I and I'm not using the accent. I mean, I'm mm. using my own my own voice. It, so, it's usually that people don't recognise it because it's out of context because they yeah. don't recognise your yeah. face, and so it yeah. can't be yeah. it can't be David Archer because they have your own you have your own image. Yeah. It's like that woman said to Charles Collingwood many years ago and she said who are you she said uh, madam I, I play brian aldridge she said you can't be brian aldridge brian aldridge is tall and thin with a full head of hair <laughs> <laughs> well it's true i mean i've always said if you know you've got around five million listeners and so therefore there are five million david archers and five million alan franks yeah. and not one of them yeah. looks like you or me yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely which is the joy of it's radio the joy of it it is, and it so, is, and so the voice, the voice is completely out of context. People go, that can't, even though I think I recognise that voice, it can't be because that's not my David Archer, you know. Does that give you an extra kind of freedom as a, a radio acting? I mean, I, this is going outside the the Archers now, that you could, you well, could be it's anything. Some, I mean, you know, the, like Miriam Margulies being the Cadbury's Caramel Bunny, yeah. the sexy bunny. <laughs> you can do anything, can't you, most with a voice? The, most yeah, most of the can... time, but they, occasionally. I mean, I was in Educating Rita down at the Watermill Theatre. And he was already. brilliant. He oh, was brilliant. I went to see mm. it. Silly. But the, the local paper review was, you know, there I was, you know, watching 
And then onto the stage came the dulcet tones of David Archer. <laughs> and then she said, but after about 10 minutes, I forgot about that. And, you know, I got into the play. But, yeah, yeah I'm, you know, I do a lot of voice work. And um, and I do a lot of, I do accents, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm, in the in the archers, there's sometimes a little extraneous drop-in character who just yeah. comes in. You know, it'd be like um, someone who delivers a message or something. And there was there was one episode, and they they get an actor who's in that episode to do the voice. Yeah, I've yeah. done it loads of times. Both done it. it. Yeah. His one of one of his one of the classics <laughs> was when Tim had to play a taxi driver, and he played it with a Jamaican accent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think he's very good. Aldridge. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as the time. I tell you what. I was in. I was in a play that we, they were done at Radio Four, and then many years ago, directed by Brian Miller in Bristol, and it was banned. It with they it got banned. He got me to play a Rastafarian drug dealer. <laughs> anyway, it got banned, and I was terrible. I tried this. You know this Rastafarian accent stuff. Absolutely appalling. Why didn't they get a, a, a black Jamaican actor to play it? You know, I don't know. Well, now they would. Well, they, now they would. Yeah, they exactly. You wouldn't get away with it now. Anyway. You wouldn't get away with it now. They and would I wouldn't want to get away with it now. Oh, my dear chaps, that was just stupendous. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, it's lovely seeing you, France. I haven't seen you for ages. Very yeah. lovely to see you. Absolutely yonks. Yeah. That's lovely, lovely, Tim. Lovely I haven't seen see Tim in the green room at all. I mean, oh, God, we you know. I know. Well, let's hope it gets back to normal soon. I hope so, Yes, mate. that would be lovely. What a joy. Bless you so much. I'm going to switch off the recording, but thank you so much. Bless you, my darling. Thank you. I'm feeling deeper appreciation for the demanding task of delivering believable plots and characters, drama, humour and educative and socially relevant content in just 13 minutes, five times a week. I'm appreciating the skill of the writers, the editors, and of course the superb cast. I believe in those characters. I really love some of them. They've become real to me because they're played with such truth. And that includes David Archer and Alan Franks, who I totally forget are Tim and John. I'm sure I'm not the only listener joining in. I often mutter at the Sunday Omnibus edition as I move around the house, two or three radios on at once. I carp when someone's irritating. I warn them when they're about to do something foolish. I cheer when they do good and laugh in joy at Jazza and Linda, Lillian and Susan. Not for nothing are the great and the good often thrilled to make a guest appearance on the Archers. Apart from the Duchess of Cornwall, Famous guests have included the aforementioned Dame Judi Dench, Dame Edna Everidge, Bradley Wiggins, Alan Titchmarsh, John Peel, Terry Wogan, Zandra Rhodes, and Her Royal Highness, Princess Margaret. Like the Morecambe and Wise show and the Muppet show, a cameo appearance is a badge of the highest honour. Oh, incidentally, Warblefly, which used to be called Gadfly, causes disease by laying eggs on the forelegs of large animals. The larvae burrow through the skin, travel through tissue, damaging muscle, and create skin swellings called warbles before puncturing their way back out again, making for weakened animals and holy hides. There you go, a bit of farming education for you right there. And I hope the agricultural storylines 
continue to reflect our fast-changing farming landscape, which is something we should all be concerned about. Yes, the archers may be too comfy and cosy for some people's tastes, but it's that very comfort, that very cosiness, and yes, company, that means the world to so many millions of listeners. Long live the archers, our very British, everyday story of country folk. If you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty of other great guests in the series talking about all kinds of artistic topics, and you can subscribe on most podcast platforms. If you enjoy the series, please feel free to tell your friends about it, and if you feel like leaving a nice review, that would be massively appreciated. Thank you for listening, and until next time, enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better.